0: You're listening to a podcast on Accelerate, brought to you by University of Utah Health.
1: Today we are uh, having a conversation with Aaron Fox and Linda Tyler about the work that they've been able to accomplish together in pharmacy. And every practicing episode we start by talking about how did you get into your line of work? And so I'll ask each of you How did you know you
2: were going to become a pharmacist? I knew in high school that I liked sciences. I loved math. I loved biology. Uh, Physics was, like, my favorite science. Chemistry was awesome. I was like, so I'm a woman who likes sciences. You know, like, there was only two women in my physics class, so there weren't very many of us that liked the sciences. And one day I was um, stopping by the pharmacy uh, to pick up. My father was a smoker, and every time we moved, he had to find a place to buy cigars. So he would connect with the local pharmacy. And uh, once I got my driver's license in high school, it was sort of my job to go pick up the cigars once a week. And so I walked in the pharmacy, and um, I would start talking to the pharmacist and the other staff in there. And I realized, gosh, I wonder what it takes to be a pharmacist. And I looked into it, and I realized, well, you have to take physics, chemistry, and biology. You have to have a fair amount of math. And, uh, wow, you get to work with patients. And that sounded so much better than being, like, in a research lab or anything else that you do with sciences. Um, I'd been a candy striper as well, so I'd volunteered in the hospital, so I knew kind of what jobs there were in the hospital. And I thought hospitals were just the coolest place. So I started looking into pharmacy, what it took to be a pharmacist. Uh, Talked to some other pharmacists as well and uh, decided I wanted to be a pharmacist. Um, I have to tell you, every, in college, every time mid-semester, as you're getting through midterms, and they're just hard sometimes, I would like rethink my choice and then go, no, no, this is what I want to do. And it really wasn't until I was in my uh, second year of pharmacy school that I quit doing that like every semester. Um, but, it, but once I got into the clinical part of the curriculum, I knew I was absolutely in the right place. I knew I could make a difference in patient care. It was right when clinical pharmacy was uh, coming to the forefront, and uh, that was the best place to be because you were working directly with patients and impacting patient care.
0: I loved science, and I got a biology degree here at the university, and I thought I would be, at the time, there was a lot of um, stuff going on with the genome project, and I just thought that was fascinating, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, so I finished my biology degree and I got, um, a job, a different job at AREP. I worked at AREP all along while I was getting my biology degree and the reality of what it actually takes to be in the lab and to do the cell culture and do the protein isolation, um, I I didn't have the patience for it. And I was all by myself at 3 a.m. in a cold room going, what am I doing? How is this ever going to help anybody? And uh, my very good friend at the time that I had done my biology degree together with, he convinced me, hey, let's take this pharmacy class. I'm thinking about pharmacy. We can take the class and see what it's like before we commit. And so we, we did that together, and I loved it. I, I just loved it. It was uh, Dave Rill's biochemistry class, and I just loved it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do pharmacy.
2: And I have loved that choice ever since.
1: When, when did you first understand, as a pharmacist, you were helping someone?
2: I was very attracted to pharmacy because of my interest in science. But it was my second year in college when I was still doing my pre-work when the doctor of pharmacy program started at the University of Utah, and I saw a new news blurb about the Doctor of Pharmacy program and what clinical pharmacists did. And that's when I connected of, oh my gosh, if I did this, I could make a difference in patients' care. And it was all about if patients are taking medications, how can they use their medications the very best? How can you prevent problems? Uh, How can you keep them healthy? I mean, like, how much more fabulous can that be? So uh, when you go to pharmacy school, you have to take many years of classes before you like actually see a patient and make a difference. Um, and But working with patients on the wards, reviewing their medication therapy, recognizing you're the one that's paying attention to the medications, you're the one that's going to spot problems with the medication. So even as a student, even in your first work on ro- week on rotation, Um, You know, you spot a medication error and you're like, how come, you know, why am I the only one seeing this, you know, and, um, but the rest of the team doesn't always focus on, they're focusing on other things that they do the very best. And I realized that there's a huge role for pharmacists and a huge role for me uh, to work with patients. Um, When I was in a critical care unit, I knew I made a difference every day in terms of um, monitoring the drugs, uh, making sure patients got, better as quickly as they possibly could. Um, I've had several different practices, but in each practice area that I've been, I knew I made a difference. Um, Just spotting medication errors, uh, the clinical problem solving that you do every day when you come in, you know you make a difference. And how did you connect with patients
1: at the beginning?
2: Um, So growing up I had
0: seen, excuse me, growing up I had seen a lot of um, a lot of my relatives were were very sick. My my grandmother died when I was nine of breast cancer. My grandfather died of heart failure. Um, as a teenager, I would help my grandmother, who had emphysema, uh, go to some of her appointments. Um, you know, help my dad, mom, and dad out. Um, and and it was fun for me. And I would see how they would change her medicines and how many questions she would have. Um, and I didn't really connect that it would be a pharmacist that could help with with that until i actually took that very first biochemistry class and started to learn about a couple of 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 the drugs that my grandmother was taking to um and and it just kind of clicked for me oh you know this is a way that that i could really really help and, and connect with patients so um you know seeing seeing my my family members take medicines but then um having that recognition during that biochemistry class was it was it was uh you know it was kind of an aha moment for me. It's the best job you can have. It's the most interesting work. it's different every day. you get to help patients uh, you get to work with great people you get to work with um, nurses and doctors every day and to, everyone is focused on on making things better for the patient
2: so i I always tell them it's the best job you can have I think the things that I hadn't really envisioned is We don't think about pharmacists having specialties, but I have always been in a specialty practice. So um, my very first job out of graduate school was in a critical care. I was in a shock and trauma unit, and so I was the clinical pharmacist and clinical faculty member there. And so making a difference every day, uh, working with these really intense patients, uh, occasionally working with their families... Uh, then my husband got a job in another city, and so I then was working in a poison control center. So each time kind of retooling, working in a different specialty, all of it very exciting. Um, when I came here to the University of Utah, I came to be the Director of Drug Information Services. Um, I was cross-appointed in the College of Pharmacy. so huge opportunities for teaching, um, so again, doing something very different. In drug information, um, it was the opportunity to really build something, build a program, work with an incredible team. So I really had never envisioned that that's what I would be doing when I was in school, Um, but it was the best place to land and offered just all kinds of opportunities. Um, Who would have dreamed that we would think about marketing and what that would look like, in addition to all the clinical patient care stuff that we would be doing? Um, I never thought I would be a director of pharmacy when I was um, starting in pharmacy school. I always thought I was gonna be a clinician, yet the right opportunity opened up and now I'm a director of pharmacy. Uh, So I never would have envisioned that or never would have guessed, but it's the very best place to be by having all this clinical experience and then coming into the position that I have now. I think it uh, makes for a really strong combination to, impact care on a global level and uh, to grow a department in incredible ways.
1: So that takes us to the Drug Information Service. So Linda, you were hired to start that. What was the Drug Information Service, When? You, what year did you start it and yeah. what, what did you think your mission was at that time?
2: Um, So I came in 1986, and actually the Drug Information Center had been started probably in about 75, 76. Um, And up until that time, I'd been one faculty member um, in graduate programs in pharmacy drug information's uh, key skills that we have to teach every pharmacist. So it's kind of core to the curriculum in terms of there's, uh, from that time, starting in the mid-70s, there was always a required class for pharmacy students in Um, Drug information, literature, evaluation, statistics. Um, So there was one faculty member in drug information, students on rotation, uh, providing services to the hospital. Uh, When I came in 86, I was one faculty member in a small room, taking students on rotation, uh, teaching the required class in drug information. Um, It was very clear to me when I started that they kept asking can't you do this? Can't you do more? And it's like, well, I can do more. There's all kinds of opportunities, but we'll need more people. So within the first year, uh, we got another a second staff person in. And so each, each year for the next few years, we added staff to the Drug Information Center. And in part, the things that we were being asked to do were really incredible things around drug policy. So in drug information... Uh, You you get phone calls, people asking you questions about things. Most of those phone calls at that time were very patient-specific. Most of the work that I was getting asked to do as we grew the Drug Information Center was around drug policy and how we could make a difference as a whole organization. So it was both about solving individual patient problems as well as solving problems for the organization. So some of it was because of accreditation standards, some of it was because we were Uh, again, trying to solve problems in other areas and what would that look like. And so over time, we uh, grew the Drug Information Service to what it is now with um, 11 staff. Um, We started a drug information residency in there, which was really incredible. That developed the pipeline of really incredible, talented people in drug information. Drug information is a very, very small specialty in pharmacies, so not every center has a drug information center many academic medical centers do at this point in time I don't know of any other academic medical center that has a center as large as ours Erin when did you
1: you trained here surely you were trained with Linda when did you think that was the fit for you
0: during pharmacy school um, many of my classmates um, were, were just going to graduate and get a job Um, but some of us were thinking about residencies and I was thinking about residency too Um, but I remember thinking you know I I really like such a broad array of of different things in pharmacy I I can't envision specializing in just critical care or oncology and so um, I talked to Linda about drug information I was her TA for for that class and um, I remember she you know just was delighted that I was interested and 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 that was such a great um such a great opportunity to train in drug information and and have the opportunity to get a set of specialized skills but still keep a really broad um uh, broad broad base of, of of items that I get to look at so together
1: Not only of amazing institutional significance, but now is of national significance. Um, what What's your passion that drove you to make such a significant difference in the field of pharmacy? Where What is it that's driving both of you?
2: It's really for. For us to be successful, it's always been very important that we maintained our focus on what was really important. And so first and foremost, as a drug information center and an academic medical center, it was to serve our patients. And so we would think of things that we would do or we would run across problems we were solving, um, and we would solve them for our patients and our organization. But we also realized sometimes that the work that we were doing internally had application to every other organization. And so that's really how we got to the work that we did in drug shortages. During the uh, 1990s, there weren't very many drug shortages, but we realized that when we had a drug shortage, the sooner that we got the physicians involved in the shortage and worked together to find a solution. Uh, the more capable we were to take care of patients in these critical situations. So over the years, we developed a fairly structured process and always developed written communication for people, so they had something in their hand, what they needed to do when a shortage, for instance, occurred. Um, So as we get towards 2000, there were becoming more and more shortages, There were some people that knew of the internal work that we had done around shortages and and having a consistent process and engaging our medical staff in that. And they said, "Um, you know, others are really struggling with this. You should really partner with some of our national organizations. And I said, oh, that's a a really great idea. Let me start a conversation with them. So I started a conversation with them, and they kind of like go, well, shortages is a big issue, but we kind of don't know what to do about it. And we said, well, we do. And, but it really took a lot of convincing to get them to be interested in that. Um, so it, it took a while, but we forged a partnership with the American Society of Health System Pharmacists to create a website around the shortages. We would provide the clinical information for the website. Um, the very year we forged the partnership, what started out as just a few shortages uh, expanded mightily to like over 100 shortages. So suddenly we had... Uh, bought all this incredible extra work, but the focus is, is what's the real work we do for our patients that we need to do for our organization, and if it has applicability to help other patients and other organizations, then let's explore that. Um, So we stay very focused that our work is is patient-focused work. As an academic medical center, we always have trainees with us, so we layer into that that if this is the real work we do, how can we pull our trainees through to uh, participate in this work, contribute to this work, understand how important this work is for helping our patients and how we uh, apply it to patients and other organizations. Um, so we never would have guessed that it got as big and as bold and that it would be such a, a huge national dialogue Uh, in many ways, both from drug shortages, but now moving on to the rising cost of pharmaceuticals. How
1: How do you stay focused in what has grown so dramatically?
0: So I think one of the best parts of working in drug information is the opportunity to make things better for not just one patient, but all the patients at our health system. And so I just view the work that we do on drug shortages Right along that, we are not only helping the patients at our hospital, but we're helping the patients across the country. And that is very, very gratifying to know that that work is helpful and it's useful. I hear from colleagues across the country uh, to this day how much they value the information we provide. And, you know, every shortage affects patients. And, you know, our practice is always for the patients first. And so that's – there's no – I don't really have to refocus myself because that's, that's the important work we do every day.
1: Talk about a time when a shortage was really scary for both of you, that you knew that something serious was coming and that you had to get the organization ready. Can you think about it? Is there a shortage that sticks out in your mind? Yeah. Well, tell us about that.
0: In 2011, uh, I got a call from a colleague at FDA that we, I work together with all the time, and they told me that a factory had closed, and mo- most of the drugs made in that factory were chemotherapy drugs. And what was going to happen basically was a shortage of probably 30 to 40 of the most basic chemotherapy drugs that we need every day to treat our patients. So we knew that things were going to be really grim for a while, and so we worked really closely with our colleagues at, at Huntsman Cancer Hospital, and what we did was we developed a strategy where we would track out how much drug we had, and before we would start a new patient on that medicine, we would make sure that we would have enough medicine to cover their whole course of therapy. And. With chemotherapy, there, there are often choices in regimens, but once you start a regimen, you really want to finish that regimen. And so what we did um, by, by kind of thinking ahead, being proactive, and, and tracking it through, we were able um, to not have any patients not, able, not be able to finish their regimen. And, and that was great because not everyone across the country did that. Um, many many centers chose to manage those shortages um, by what drug they were able to get at, on that day, and and many patients were, were going to chemotherapy centers and being turned away and not being able to receive their their treatment. Um, that actually really helped explode the topic um, in the news media because. We had patients telling the media, hey, I can't get my chemotherapy. What is going on? Um, but I was really happy with the plan that we made. It took a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of being proactive and, and discussions with, with the physicians. But um, our organization was, was really able to get through that horrible, critical time.
2: One that I can think of is propofol. It's a drug used in anesthesia, a, of a very critical drug. Used there. And so there was going to be this shortage. So we worked very closely with our anesthesiologist how to plan for this shortage, how to decide when we were going to use it, when we weren't going to use it, uh, what alternatives there were. Um, And we did a really good job working with our anesthesiologist, but we engaged them right away. And I uh, remember being at a national meeting about six months into the shortage. It was a shortage that lasted for quite some time. And one of my counterparts said, so, like, is this shortage really real? And I said, uh, yes. He goes, well, I just don't want to tell my anesthesiologist about it until it's real. And I'm like, we told our anesthesiologist about it six months ago so that we could engage them in the problem solving. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I just can't imagine doing that. I We don't tell them until the very last minute. And, um, you know, sometimes we forget how different places engage their medical staff in these shortages and uh, realized what a strong process we had, what a strong partnership we had, what incredible trust we had with the medical staff. Uh, obviously, we worked really hard to do that through the stuff that we do on a daily basis, uh, but it really uh, came to light in that moment that we... We work very closely and proactively to prevent problems, to prevent harm to our patients, and more possible prevent um, a patient not being able to get the drug they really needed.
1: What do you think is different here?
2: I, th- I think it's being
0: proactive another example i can tell you even when things are a surprise uh, so uh, one day in august of 2015 we learned that all of our surgical irrigation solutions were going to be cut in half and and that started that day Um, so i very quickly had to go work with kathy adamson and dr saltzman and make a plan because you can't do surgery without those irrigations And we can't just quit doing half of our surgeries. Uh, So what we did was we were able to use uh, smaller bags of of saline, which was very inconvenient for the technicians. um, But it's better than not doing surgery at all. And so I think what's different about our organization is the teamwork, thinking ahead, being proactive. Our physicians are always, um, whenever I talk to them about a potential shortage, they're always happy to know about it. And I, I can always circle back and say, hey, guess what? It turned out to not be a problem, but they're never angry that we're crying wolf or bothering them. They would rather be a part of that planning process, and I think that's just a really um, huge benefit we have uh, as a culture here.
2: Our physicians don't trust us if we say, "Oh, yeah, we've known about the shortage for three months, uh, but now now that it's real, we're having a conversation with you." So we've really worked hard to change the dialogue to engage them the moment we know about a shortage so that we can work together for how we're going to take care of patients under these uh, new circumstances, so to speak. And it's, it's really gratifying how incredible it is, and most importantly, how we have so positively affected patient care in terms of preventing problems, making the the meager resources go as far as we can, make sure the patients with the most critical need uh, get the medications that they need.
1: What's been your biggest struggle um, in your career, your practice?
0: Learning how to say no. I'm terrible at that. I I love um, learning new things. I love accepting new challenges. I will almost always say yes, and then I usually buy myself some late nights and some rough weekends uh, by by saying yes to too many things. But I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily change it. Um, but it is something that I try to work on. But but it's a struggle. It's it's hard not to say yes um, and.
2: And I'm a really poor role model for her in that regard in that I I have the same difficulty. Um, I would say the biggest thing is um, I'm one whole person, and I have my work life, and I have my home life, and it's juggling and balance everything. And when I think about all the years uh, raising my kids and how you juggled stuff and the, at times the what you gave up a little bit because something was happening at work that was – Uh, really important, but also really engaging in balancing that, Um, but also sharing that and sharing that passion uh, with my kids. But uh, the balance has always been uh, challenging and tricky. And I would say that's probably the greatest challenge in many ways. Um, You know, when some of our residents are here and they say, hey, I'm thinking about planning a family. How did you do it? I'm like, in some ways, I I don't know, because there was just so much going on, and we just kind of made it happen, and what did that look like? But it took a tremendous amount of juggling um, of, you know, what you were doing at home, what you were doing at work, um, and also juggling with your teammates, because each of them had needs, and very much we all wanted to be there to support them. So, uh you know, like, uh, I used to make my kids uh, think of my son in high school. I used to, when he'd pick me up from work, make him come in to pick me up. I said, you need to know the people I work with in case anything happened. I'd want you to know who I worked with. And, and he's like, mom, don't make me do that. And I'm like, no, it's really important. But, um, my team members saw my kids grow up. I'm seeing Aaron's kids grow up. I don't see them very often, but, um, uh, we have to work together and support each other in that way. So, I, one of the, the keys I would say in how we made it work is that we work together as team here, um, and that we, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't want your family life mixing with your work life, but we had to support each other in both regards, or it would not work, and uh, we would not be able to do the things that we're incredibly passionate about. I
1: remember to work in the 90s, in the winter, and I was driving up the hill, Linda and listening to the radio and you were on the radio. And I said, that's Linda. And I thought maybe it was local NPR, but it was National NPR. And it was the first time, I think that you were on the radio and I came and found you. And I said, Linda, you're on NPR. Both of you have now, been nationally speaking about the work you lead in the media before Congress this who would have thought Utah would lead the country What has that aspect of your practice been like?
2: It, it's an incredible wild ride. Um, so first of all you have to recognize that pharmacists in general are uh, Typically, shy introverts, uh, we're not really good about telling our story. And if you said, I'm going to put you in front of a camera camera, or you're going to talk to NPR, we go, oh, no, I, we'd figure out 100 ways not to do that. Um, and so very early on when I was here in the Drug Information Service, um, KSL called and said, hey, uh, there's this new drug on the market. We'd like to interview you. Um, and I'm like, uh, no, no, I'm really sorry, I can't do that interview, you know, work's busy. I, you know, I could think of a hundred reasons why on that particular day, I couldn't do it. And, and likewise, when the television media calls you, they're on a news cycle, they, they really want to talk to you like within the hour. Um, so that night on the evening news, I watched the evening news and they interviewed somebody who, in my opinion, got the story wrong and really didn't understand the key points. And then I think to myself, well, if I wasn't willing to talk to them, this is what it looks like. So I have to figure out how to make this better. So then I realized that it it didn't actually have to be me talking to the media. I could find people to talk to the media. Uh, okay, that well, that was a trick and a half. So I thought, well, we can get some of our college faculty for whom this is their area of expertise to talk to the media. So then again, I would watch the evening news after they'd been interviewed, and um, I would say that their interviews, well, highly accurate, uh, failed to understand the audience that they were talking to and did not make it a accessible piece. So um, I worked with our PR department at the time, and they really didn't think that there'd ever be very much around pharmacy and that that really wouldn't work, but that'd keep us in mind. Uh, but the one thing we started doing is when we got requests, we'd follow them with pre and we'd think about it together, who would be the best people to work with. And so that that relation uh, continued to grow. Um, as we started getting into our work with drug shortages, we would sit down with the media and, and they'd kind of look at us and go, we just don't understand how this is a story. And we said, no, it's a really, really big story, and we're going to get questions about it, and and we'd like to figure out a strategy and a way to do this, and... And, you know, I don't have the skills to talk to the media. I need your help in learning about this. And uh, so they started working with us. And um, so over time, they've worked with us a tremendous amount. Um, I would have to say we're still not comfortable doing this. This is still not my favorite thing in many ways. Um, But I recognize that it is important to get our story out. And so very basically, if we don't tell our story, nobody else will. So, how do we craft that story? What does it look like Um, around shortages? uh, This is something we're really passionate about, so we're willing to talk about it. And rising drug costs would be another one, which obviously is in the news recently. Um, But this is a who would have guessed? Um,
1: Did you ever think you'd be testifying before Congress, Erin?
0: You know I no um, as as shortages heated up though in in the media I I did often wonder if they would want me to come talk but um, you know when the drug prices exploded you know a big reason why I was asked for for that to, to talk to the Senate Committee um, you know I, I had built relationships over the years with different reporters and, and I'd kind of given them that drug pricing story and it just started uh, a big swirl in the media. And, um, you know, we're, I think they also chose me because Senator Hatch was on that committee. Um, but it was it was a great opportunity to, again, to tell our story and to try to get, um, you know, the what, what the real story is from the people on the ground. This is what it looks like when a drug company raises prices and what our hospital has to do to manage that. So it's actually really an extension of drug shortages because when drug prices increase, uh, it creates a shortage if a patient can't afford that medicine or a hospital has to change how they stock the medicine.
1: So together you have built um, work that supported our patients and our physicians, our nursing team our region and our country. What, Linda, do you want Erin to know about how you feel
2: about the work you've done together? Um, I am just so proud of the work we've done. Um, She is so committed to excellence in everything she does every day. Um, It's absolutely phenomenal. And I would want her to know how much I enjoy and value the relationship that we have, Um, how highly I think of her, how much I love working with her on a daily basis, how much I trust her, how much I respect her.
1: Erin, you came as a TA to Dr. Tyler, and here we are all these years later. What What do you want her to know?
0: Linda has been an incredible mentor to me, a huge teacher. I learn, I still learn from her every day. I love, I love working for her. I love working with her. Um, I think part of what drives my passion for excellence and to make my team as good as they can be and our service as good as they can be is to help support what what Linda built and and to keep, you know, to keep making that better. So, um, I, I. Just love working for Linda, and um, I can't thank her enough for all the, um, for everything. If you like this, we have more. Visit AccelerateUtah.com. Accelerate is Chrissy Daniels, Kim Mahoney, Mari Ransco, Steve Johnson, Marcy Hopkins, Bob Pendleton, and our community of contributors.